The world of story has captivated humanity since the dawn of time. The oldest known form of communication, verbal storytelling is responsible for the continuity and development of civilization from its most primitive moments to its most advanced. Story involves a sense of mystical wonder, but is also a powerful medium for communicating real and concrete ideas that shape people's lives and make them take action. Steve Schramm, marketer, nonfiction writer, and story nerd, and Alex Jagir, fiction writer, wannabe game designer, and story nerd, join forces as worlds collide to discuss how story is the most powerful concept ever known and how it interacts with each and every aspect of our lives, from the most magical to the most mundane. Well, we're here with another episode of Story World. Good to see you, Alex. Good to see you, Steve. It's been a long time no see. Yeah, man. I feel like it's been a little while since we got to record, but I'm really excited to dive into this because we're talking about our writing processes. Mm. And I think this is going to be maybe one of the most fun ones, at least for me, because I am seriously interested in fiction writing. I, I want to do it, but I feel so intimidated by it. And I kind of just want somebody to show me the way. How do you do it? And so that's what we're going to be talking about this time. And uh, I'll get to talk a little bit too, I think, about some of the marketing stuff. So that's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, especially since I, I only focus on fiction writing. I, I've tried writing other stuff. And in college, yeah, I took a um, speech class. So I had to write some things there. And obviously, you're schooling English papers. And also, in, uh, went to a Christian school. So I wrote like, you know, little sermons that I would give during like student night and stuff like that. But never really got into writing other stuff seriously just because it's always been fiction that attracted me so i'm looking forward to seeing if you can rope me in with some interest on on your side of these <laughs> yeah yeah it should be it should be it should be fun so most of what i write is nonfiction. um well obviously it, it's nonfiction, but there are um different kinds of writing so as i as i started to like line this out, you know, we do try to to come to this somewhat prepared, at least with the exception of the world building jam a few weeks ago, which I think just went yep. live today as we're recording this that went live today. And it, um, that was a fun episode. That was so fun was, to talk about. That was great. It was super fun. And it was it was a little bit but also cool with no notes to go. In I didn't there. know where it was going to go. And it, it was fun. It was fun. Steve. Yeah. Well, as I as I started putting my notes together for this one, I like I kind of thought, oh, okay, well, yeah, this will be simple. I, I, you know, I do this every time, and then I got to thinking about like all the different kinds of ways that I've honestly been blessed over the years to get to write. It's it's and it's actually really different. It's different writing a book versus writing a blog article versus writing a sales funnel versus writing an email, even you know, even email marketing. It's like all these things are a little different. So, um. I've got a couple different processes that I want to go down today. And I don't know, it's up to you, but I'm thinking maybe I'll just kind of get mine out of the way and then I, I want to let you kind of Yeah, I think, with, from that. I think with this, instead of you saying, oh, here's how you do one portion of this, and I, let's just go for it. You can go ahead and go down your little trail, then we'll go down mine and see where it goes. Sweet, sweet. Very good, very good. So um, I guess the first aspect then that I'll talk about is technical and book writing so um I, I sort of make a distinction between like like an article and a blog and so when i say technical writing i think i almost mean uh more article writing 
Um, and so I, it's actually, I was going to talk to you about this, but I, I just found out I'm going to get the opportunity to, uh, do some, some freelance, uh, journalistic writing for a pretty big, uh, Christian magazine coming up soon. So, um, that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and I, so I'm, I'm going to get to exercise this skill a little bit there as well. Um, and so in, te in technical kind of writing and, and, and writing books, which I've written, uh, three books. I'm working on my fourth one now. Um, one, well, two pretty long ones, and then two others that are a little bit shorter. Um, and uh, in that, you you really like at least me. I try to do footnotes. I mean, I try to be very detailed. I try to make it a very, um, you know, you have the space to be a little bit more logical and to make sure that you can tie up loose ends and make sure all your facts check out and and support you know support your arguments as you're going along with with enough detail. And so I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. A lot of times when you're writing a blog type of thing, it's like you're really fighting to keep someone's attention. So you have to like, you know, cut corners here and there, maybe take a shortcut here or there versus with technical article writing. Usually if somebody's there to read it, like they kind of know what they're getting into or a book, right? They kind of know what they're getting into. And so you can be a little bit less careful in terms of, um, you know, promoting engagement and stuff when you're, when you're doing those kind of things. So what does my process look like for, for this? Well, some of this stuff is, is going to be a little bit repetitive and I apologize for that. Um, but maybe you could draw out some additional layers of detail that I, that I really didn't even think about. Um, with technical book writing, what I first like to do is outline it. Okay. And that, that seems like super basic and it is. Um, but there was a tip that I got from a freelance writer early on when I first started learning about how to write uh, for for longer blogs and and more more article type work and things like that. And um, it was for people who like didn't really know if they could write a whole bunch on one topic. And what she said, her name was Jordan. The the tip she gave, I never forgot it to this day, and it was. Treat every headline like it was its own blog post and you'll get plenty of information to, you'll have plenty of information to share. Because any, any little headline, any little bit of information, you could always nest that and go a few layers deeper if you're worried about having enough material or being able to support the material. And so I like to outline it first. Like, I, th I think it's fair to say that with all of the books that I've written, I've had them outlined at the very least they've been outlined at the chapter level before i ever started writing the first word all the way through many how of them how specific is your outlining yeah that's what i'm getting that's what i'm talking oh, about okay cool. um yeah yeah like I, so i'm i'm typically I'm, I'm for sure one layer um <laughs> just with the main chapter you know for a book let's say for for a book um i've definitely got all the chapters lined out what I want to talk about first. And typically also, I will go ahead and have one layer deep into those chapters. So between four or five major headlines for each chapter. So that I kind of like, it's almost like before I start writing at all, I'm making sure that I have enough material, right? To actually write an entire book about. Um, and and it, it's helpful because then I kind of, I kind of can see the logic without diving into it further. And uh, so I found that to be, to be really helpful. And then, and again, this, this might sound kind of obvious, but with articles or with books, um, once I get that basic outline, I mean, I just kind of start writing. Um, 
and I and I I typically am a start at the beginning and work my way to the bottom kind of writer. I, I've heard different people give advice about well, write the easiest chapter first, or I've heard other people say write the hardest chapter first. And I guess ultimately it's about whatever's easiest for you. But uh, since this is my turn to talk, um, you know the way I do it is I start <laughs> at the top and I work my way down to the bottom because that feels the most logical to me. Like I've heard people who say that oh, you should write your introductions last. If that helps you, you should absolutely do that. <laughs> if that helps you, you should, the introduction should be the very last thing you write. For me, it's like, now I might go back and tweak that introduction. Like I'm, I'm getting ready to finish. Um, it'll probably be around 50, between 50 and 60,000 words, this fourth book that, um, that I've been working on. And um, I, as soon as I finish writing it, I will go back and read from the very beginning and I will have edits. I will have lots of edits and lots of things I want to change and clarify based on things that have been written later in the book. But ultimately, I feel like starting at the top and then just logically going down is what makes the most sense um, in yeah. my mind. You know? Yeah, it makes sense to me, Steve. Very good. So um, third step of that is I'll evolve the outline. Okay, and that's kind of like what I was just talking about there, evolving the outline. Um, but because I do tend to write only that, I don't really go beyond that um, that second layer when I'm outlining. So it always has the first layer. Some so that's the chapters of the book or the or the or the main points of mm -hmm. the of the article. Now I'll have one more layer beyond that. So in in nerdy tech terms, I'll, I'll have the H ones and the H twos laid <laughs> out, heading ones and heading twos. But the heading threes and fours, I won't have that stuff lined out. That stuff I sort of free write. I know I think there's a in fiction, there's like a, te a, a, a a cutesy technical term for free writing versus like outlining. I don't know what that term is. I can't remember it. Um, I'll get to try it. to think about it. Okay, you'll get to it. <laughs> anyway, regardless, so that's what I um so that, so I evolve the outline from there, right? So I very much will write, and it will come to me. Like a perfect example of this, if I could if I could share a specific example real quick, would be um so I, I I'm work again. I'm working on this last chapter. And I have the content, you know, like I said, planned out. I've been planning to write this, and I'll just be specific, that this specific chapter is um, uh, chapter seven of this book. And it's the title of the chapter, at least the working title, is Connecting to God Through His Word. Okay, but chapter four of the book was From Truth to Transformation. And so both chapters sort of had the same initial like idea of of okay well in that which the, the thesis of the book is about it's about learning to actually love engaging with the bible okay that's that's basically what the book is about and so both chapters had a little bit of a flavor of this idea that in order to like really apply this in your life you have to move beyond just like nerd stuff and like scholarship you actually have to like have a relationship with the lord and as I started writing chapter seven, I was like, oh man, this is quickly like encroaching on chapter four stuff. But I, 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 I mean something different here. So I had, I, I didn't know what, what it was. And so I, I thought about it. And, and what I discovered is that I, I, I thought about, well, in, in number four, chapter four, I'm really talking about like that specific daily, like interaction, like practical Bible study stuff to like really get close to Jesus. Whereas um, I want to talk about like that really cosmic level, like 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 the main the meta narrative, um, and where you connect into God into the story really that God's writing. That's what chapter seven's about. And then it hit me. 
Now you're in the you're in, in class with me um, at, uh, at our, a small group at our church, and we we went through a book called The Explicit Gospel, and and the distinction was made between the gospel from the air and then the yeah. gospel on the ground. And so I borrowed that distinction. Um, I gave credit to where credit was due, but borrowed that distinction okay. in the book, and that, my friend, that literally opened up the floodgates. I outlined, I went a couple layers deep and outlined the rest of that chapter. And now it's like, so like, I'm writing it and it's so clear. I've been able to just mow through it because it's so mm. clear what that chapter really should be about. And so that's kind of what I mean by evolve the outline. Like it's, it's, for me, it has to move. It has to, it has to morph and it has to still fit within the rest of the book. I couldn't just rewrite chapter four again. <laughs> uh, yeah, gotcha. That wouldn't have been fair, you know? So, um, <laughs> And then the, the last step of that process uh, is to, I mean, pretty simple, just to break for editing and proofing. Um, so I, I definitely think it is a uh, fact they say don't write with your left brain in your life and your right brain at the same time. Um, I have a hard time. You know, like like if you stop every time you're in the creative jive and then you stop to edit, you're like you're activating the other half of your brain and you can get out of that flow. So I really do try to just write creatively on the one side and then every I don't know. 30 minutes or so, if I'm really in a groove, I'll, I'll like, I'll zoom, I'll zoom back out a little bit and go through to make sure that what I wrote made sense. And then I'll edit it during that time as well for basic grammar and proofreading and stuff. Um, and, and that's it. That's technical and book writing. That's how I approach that piece of it. That's Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I like it. How do you find that after, for example, for like one of your books that you, that you've written, do you find that when you do go back and edit that? you're cutting out a lot of material changing a lot of material adding a lot or is it usually pretty good even mm. after your first draft yeah so it's pretty it's pretty good but i'm not saying that it that i that it should be that way uh like so i've heard so i've heard uh i've obviously studied a lot about about this because I, I really like to do things with some semblance of how other people do it as well just so i you know i'm modeling what works and not reinventing the wheel but i hear people talk a lot about like almost entirely rewriting their books even like three or four times and now it's probably why some of these people are on on new york times bestseller list and i'm not but i have yet to see the need for that level of rewriting when I'm writing my material. Like I feel like I'm, I'm getting the point across pretty well. I'm not cutting out large sections. I have done that a little bit in the past, but even after having like my, the, the big book that I wrote, I'm, I mean, it's big, it's 300 pages. I mean, for a nonfiction book, it's, 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 yeah. it's fairly decent. Yeah. Um, and I had multiple people proofread that I read it. God knows how many times. And, um, yeah, there were some edits and some clarifications, things that needed to be changed, but overall it's, um, it seemed to work. I mean, the logic was there and everything yep. was on point. So cool. it, it's, it's mostly, it's mostly tying up loose ends and, and, and honestly, it, it takes me a little while, especially for a book specifically, it takes me a little while to write one. I mean, I've been working on this one since 2020 just because I have so many other commitments. And so what's interesting is from the time I started writing something, this has happened with both of my big books from the time I started writing something until when I'm going back and doing a lot of the rereading, I've changed. I've grown. Yeah. I have, yeah. I have further distinctions. I, I wouldn't, even if I believe the same way about something, I wouldn't 
couch it in the same terms. I would explain it way differently or or or, or nuance it a lot differently. Mm-hmm. And, and just, so you just add like those for three years. It's not even like decades that you change. It's that's, a couple of years that you can. That's that's right. And so it, there's there's actually I thought about this. It actually kind of terrifies me, you know, to have stuff out there, right? Because it's like you, yeah. you're not you're just not always going to agree with what you've said in the past, and and especially since I'm, you know, I mean, I have many different sorts of platforms, um, you know, business related and, and you know, spiritually and stuff like that. And I I just what I don't want to do is lead somebody astray. And you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to be very careful about it. So it scares me to think that like, oh man, in five years, am I going to believe like totally differently about X, Y, or Z? So I want to be really careful about that stuff. I think that is a kind of going out a little rabbit trail. That's one of the the big reasons why I like the idea of like writing nonfiction about a certain, a certain subject. Cause I like a lot of subjects, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, um, different books about theology and this and that, and I read it and I really get into it, but I am much more of a discuss it in a small group or discuss it one-on-one or with a couple people and really get into the nitty gritty of it and, you know, challenge our thoughts and discover versus writing on a topic or especially teaching on a topic, even if I'm very familiar with it. And even if I'm confident in how I feel about it and my beliefs and what I think is right or wrong, um, it's not that I'm worried about being wrong or that I'm worried about later. It's just, I never feel like, why would I tell someone my thoughts on something? Or why would I tell someone about something that I'm still figuring out or that I'm still challenging myself? You know, that's why I like those discussion type things. Because you can say, hey, I'm not sure about this, but what do you think? If you're teaching a lesson, though, it's kind of hard to, depending on the setting, to get up there and be like, well, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but here's what I've thought about. And people are going to be sit there yeah. thinking, well, I was hoping to learn something tonight. <laughs> well, and I'll say, I'll say two very quick things about that. Thing one is, I mean, as far as from the spiritual perspective goes, yep. I mean, in the King's English, uh, in the book of James, <laughs> it says, it says, be ye not many masters. And and what it's talking about is that um, there is a, a, a harsher measure of judgment or a, one way to put it would be a stricter sense of responsibility that is for those who aim to teach, right? So it's a burden. I, you know, somebody at church said this the other night when they were teaching, like everybody wants to be behind the pulpit, but it's like, it's a burden. Um, And that's right. You know, I mean, yeah, sure. It's, it's nice to like, to really, I mean, admittedly, and I'll just be honest, I mean, admittedly, you know, I, I do feel like I get to play an important role in our, in our, in our, in the life of our church because I get to speak. And that, I mean, that's huge for me. I, I, because I feel like God wants me to do it. Um, at the same time, it is a burden that like, I wouldn't do it if I didn't feel like God wanted me to do it, you know? Um, so that is important. Um, the other thing I'll say about that is, is, um, my favorite way that people teach my favorite kind of teacher is the less dogmatic one. The one who will say, here's this view, here's this view, here's this view, here's why I believe this view, here's why I don't believe this view or this view, um, but I could be wrong. That's my favorite kind of teacher. You show me a teacher who will just be honest about the positions, who understands the positions well enough to put them all out there, and then come in and say, this is why I believe this one. Now let's talk about it. That, to me, that is the, that, that's the kind of teacher I always strive to be. Now there's sure. some things that you're going to be dogmatic on, but most things are, are more like that. 
for if that's the kind of saying that I like, especially if I were to lead a group in a way, it would be like that. Like I was watching a video on YouTube the other day. I think it was from the, um, is it the Southern Seminary? Is that the, the uh, Southern Evangelical SES? No, I think it was something else. Um, Might be Southern. Were, I think they were in charge Southern of the CSB of the CSB translation. I think that's, um, oh. Uh, seminary. I could be wrong. Yeah, it might be Southern Seminary. But yeah. anyway, one of the guys in there was talking about, uh, like you know, premillennium, postmillennium, and then millennium. Oh, yeah. About I think that means no millennium or whatever. But, um, yeah, uh, maybe it is. But oh, yeah. anyway, he was going through like three or four different things, and he made a really good case for one. He said that it's a very strong argument for this. It makes a lot of sense. And then he said, I personally um, think this way, and it was totally different. Even though I thought he was making a case for that one. And that's that a funny? really good way to really just show that you understand all viewpoints. And yeah. then one, you're not closed minded, but you still have a firm opinion on what you think is right. And you communicate it. In my opinion, that's yeah. kind of the way to do it. But anyway, we can move yep. on. No. <laughs> good Very little rabbit trail there. No, it was good. Um, yeah, good, good discussion. So uh, um, I know you have another, you have a few things because you have different topics you'll be talking about. I have the one based on kind of fixed rhyme but to switch it up i guess we could kind of talk about my couple points on um yeah. my writing process if that sounds good yeah if that, we can that, go back to you perfect yeah um so yeah the um it, there's a few different terms for uh for it um but gardener and architect are the one that i hear the most on the different kind of writing styles especially as it applies to fiction writing so a lot of people listening probably know it too but uh gardener is you um if you outline it's mostly major points and you're not really focused on getting down the specifics you kind of maybe see where you want to go and you have an idea of some thematic elements and you know critical points and climaxes in your book but for the most part as a garden grows and things you know change and you tend to it that's kind of the outlook where you'll be writing and then you something might pop up and a thought about this character. And so you kind of tend to that and you go this way to this character. Then you might be a tenth of the way through the book and realize, oh, I might actually want this character to be involved this way. And then you go back and you might change some things and you help it to grow a different way. And so um, that's actually how I tried writing for a while. And I think that's why I was really frustrated with writing because that's not um, that's just not how my brain's wired. I think I want it to be. I don't I don't know why. It's just this kind of my approach that I wanted to do and it did not work and I felt burnt out and it frustrated me because I kept going back and editing and it just it, it was very um frustrating. Um the second is the architect, and that is very much in my line where I won't outline every single thing. I mean, at that point you're just wasting time, but I very much um plan on what I'm writing. I have a very I have a very detailed outline, especially in the ending of the book and highlights and points and how I want the characters to be. I basically kind of do a, I kind of write my story before I even write my story in a big outline form. And it takes up quite a bit of um, writing to get there. But the first thing I start with, and maybe it's not, it, it's kind of different, but I start with the world. Um, for me, if I start with characters or if I start with, um, like, friends, if I start with a conflict, I like to see an overall conflict on, you know, not necessarily specifically what's having that specific character, but might might be causing, um, like, for instance, 
uh, the war going on in Ukraine right now. That's a big overarching problem. But some people specifically in the city are, hey, you know, my house is trampled. I don't have food. I don't have water. You know, that's their specific conflict. And so if I'm looking at the overall conflict, I'd like to know, well, why is it that way? You know, how come this person is behaving this way or these nations are attacking or fighting? How come this magic system is dead here, but alive here? And so for me, I have to think about a believable world and really come up with a good, not detailed magic system at this point, but just, you know, um, generally speaking, you know, what's the world set up like? Are there different races? Are they, you know, how they interact? And when I kind of think on some interesting ideas and I kind of go back a little bit more and think, okay, well, how did this end up coming down? And 90, probably more, 95% of this stuff, I don't write on paper. I just think about it in my mind and um, it kind of grows that way. But if I do think of a specific idea, for instance, if I think about a, maybe a fight that happened between a God and a normal man, and this was the result of it, I think, Ooh, maybe I can apply that to maybe that's how that changed the magic system. And that's how that will be affecting one of my main characters. And then I'll write that down. Cause I, cause it's a good idea. So I have a question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is great. I mean, this is like, I'm soaking this in. It's fantastic. Good. I, I have no idea. If the question I'm going to ask is going to make any sense, but I promise I'm going to do my best Bring to it ask up. it. Well, okay. So, like, when I'm a marketing guy, entrepreneur, I am. I have a working genius type, which I talked about on a, on a past episode of. Basically, I'm a creative dreamer, right? So I, so I'm all the time building these worlds in my, you know, in in my, in my head, kind of like you are, right? We're actually doing very similar stuff in, in my mind i am but but there but there are things that happen in the in the real world and it's like uh oh god i hate to rabbit trail but but no, you're good it's like it's like a dinner the other night i was telling yeah. you we, we were at the mexican restaurant and i was telling you about this one specific thing right and what i was telling you about is how i wish that that there was an app on my apple watch it's already smart enough to know when i go to sleep i said I, I looked and everybody's asking for it, but 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 nobody makes it. I just want something where I can say I want to get six and a half hours of sleep at least every night, no more than eight. Since when I fall asleep, automatically set my alarm clock for the next morning. Hmm. Right now, when I when I think about that, like I can, if I'm not if I'm not careful, I can like get so preoccupied in my mind and obsessed with just like the different variables and the different ways. But like that's something in the, in the real world. And there is a measure of reality to it that I know, like, like I have dreams and ideas of things that I want to instantiate in the real world. Yes. Yes. Eventually. Um, mm -hmm. um, big, big things. Like I have an idea for basically a great wolf lodge type of thing that I don't even know if I've ever told this, but it's like I have an idea for like this great wolf lodge type of thing, which if you don't know, it's like this awesome like themed hotel for kids, but that teaches like uh creation and like biblical worldview stuff. Okay. So I I can get excited about that, but like right now, like what it would take to make something like that is so far fetched yeah. that like I don't it could just it just it doesn't feel real. And so I I can't waste too much mental capital on it. Right. But like but when I think about things like the, the the watch idea or the idea I was telling you about literally right before this stream about, my God, a simple screen recorder that would just allow me to switch mm -hmm. between full camera and just the little tutorial thing, window in the bottom corner. Like, 
I get really excited about that. And I think about world building around these, around these different types of concepts. What, so what my question is, is what, what, like for you, what makes you have that aha moment? Like what, what things when you're thinking about it is like, ah, this has to be in my world. And like, why that excitement and, and why that thing like, is, is there anything about it that, that makes you like, you think of something where it's like, eh, that may or may not work. But then you take a step and you're like, oh, that's it. Like, here's the problem for me, like with marketing, I'm usually thinking in terms of would somebody buy that? And it's like, so there's realistic things in my mind, like something like that I can grab on. Like, yeah, somebody would totally pay two bucks in the app store for an app that automatically set your alarm clock based on when you fell asleep. That's in the real world to me. And so I, I think, ah, oh, like I could, I could, if I just had some capital to like pay a developer, I could make that. Uh, versus like, you don't get that with fiction, right? So like, how do you tap into <laughs> that? Yes, this is going to work or this is not going to work. How, how do you do that? So obviously you don't plan for aha moments. But <laughs> I wish oh, I wish you could, and then fair enough, right? Yeah. Fair enough. So yeah, any aha moments that I ever have relate because of my focus. I think it should be kind of focus of every book, and typically with good writers, it is. But focus is on your character development and their emotions, and them being human, and them mm -hmm. going through their character arc and becoming you know who you want them to be on their journey. So my moments are when I think of something, especially when it relates to the setting or the magic system or a situation or like maybe how two different characters were upbringing. And I'll just have a thought on, wow, like if the magic was created this way and the person can use it to do this, then it would make, you know, this person feel, you know, happy about this and help them overcome that challenge. I tried to think of a specific example of giving anything away from my book. I was thinking about kind of how like two different worlds could collide, how someone could like live in, I guess, two different places at once. I'm not trying to, it seems weird. I'm not trying to get away anything, but just for a sake of example and how one place could affect them at the same time as another, but in different ways. And I just had an aha moment where, well, a lot of times, like we put on a front of ourselves where we're happy, but we have such an internal struggle going on about something and no one knows about, we bottle it in and that manifested into act actively how this person would behave in each of their worlds and the results of that. And I just thought, wow, oh, that's cool. Really cool. And that's without giving anything specific that might not sound, sure, but, but that's usually in any time I have something like that, I'll show you sometimes, Steve, I'll show you like my outline and different things yeah, for sure. highlighted, but. I will have a thought. I'm like, I, I need to put that down because that needs to be in my book. And it's so it, mm, without, without trying to over formulize it. Okay. Which, which I, I, I don't think formulize is a word probably formulate anyway. Um, <laughs> I, to be fair, I am looking at a book in my Kindle called save the cat writes a novel. That is literally a, a, a formalization of the, of the fiction writing process. So I feel somewhat justified. Is it, you know, without making it too systematic, is it fair to say that, um, a lot of the like those aha moments or those things that like really help tie the disparate things together. Like like what you just explained right yeah. there was like was like a, a a piece of missing logic or something that like when once you like like that sort of helped things make like tie it all together. Are are, are many of them that sort of thing where yeah, it just kind of makes multiple parts make sense? The best thing is having multiple parts make sense and then like solving like two problems at once, if you will. 
Gotcha. So okay. I, I'm trying to think of an example quick off of my head and I really can't, but instead of if someone wants to say, you know, fall in love with this other character, right? Instead of it just being simple where, oh, you know, we kept asking her out, they went on a couple of dates and blah, blah, blah. They fell in love. How about instead, um, like her lover gets assassinated and it somehow relates to how his life as a simple peon gets involved. And he ends up, um, yeah. I don't know, like maybe, maybe he brings this person back to life or something. I, I don't know. Uh, but like, if, if you can solve something like twice, so if you can like bring two people into their lives together that you want them to, while also them like discovering how I'm part of the magic system works. So if you can do two or three things at once, it's the same thing for comics. Um, what's the guy's name that writes silver something Adams, I think, uh, who writes Adams. What? Dilbert Greg Adams. Oh, uh, that sounds familiar. Um, I know Dilbert comic. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I forget his name. Maybe it's not, but um, he always says that the best thing is when he can have like three different layers of jokes. So it's um, I've read some of his his articles on his favorite cart of his favorite um snippets, and obviously you're trying to fit like funny stuff into three or four panes, and he says if you can add like three layers to a joke and pull it off and within three or four panes, it's phenomenal. So I'm sorry, I can't come up with a specific example, but that's why it's an aha moment. I'll be writing and I'll outline. And then all of a sudden I'll think, well, that doesn't really work. What if I did this? And then all of a sudden it'll just poof in my head. Like, wow, if I did do this, then that would bring all of this together. Okay, cool. Now, now I feel like, I feel like I'm treating this like a, like a fiction coaching session. Um, do you, um, are you going to dig more into the outline or if I have outline questions, I am. ask that now. No, I am. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. I'll I'm, let you keep tracking it. Yeah. So I'm almost done with this little first little thing after the world okay. building. And this kind of goes with it. I think of the overall conflict, which makes sense. So for instance, in Lord of the Rings, uh, you have, I mean, you, you have the start of the world and you have, um, you have the Valar and you have. You have Morgoth, who's the evil person, and I mean, just all this evil and the good and the struggle, and then it all dwindles down to the second age, and then the third age, and it gets all the way down to where the Lord of the Rings takes place. And uh, I mean, S uh, Sauron is is evil, no doubt, but Morgoth was even worse, and the world had seen far worse in the in the uh, um, during the first age. Yet when we watched Lord of the Rings. Um, all of that is really just a small piece of the result of the thousands of years that have happened beforehand. So there's your conflict in Lord of the Rings. So that's what I think about. So I'll, I'll think of my world. I'll think of how the big overarching picture, what happened thousands of years ago, how did it affect this? And it dwindles down to, okay, here's the world now. What is the conflict now? And how did that arise from everything? So okay. even though I won't explain. Yeah, go, yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Even though I won't explain not even a tenth of that, not even a fraction of it to my readers. Yeah. It makes the world real. You can watch Lord of the Rings and not know anything about the Cimmerillion and be totally fine because you know what's happening in Lord of the Rings. But Lord of the Rings so, won't be possible unless he created the world in which that fits. That makes sense to me. I'm interested in the word conflict. I like the word. It makes sense. Yep. My question is, is that a... Like a story doesn't exist without it. It's like it's not, it's not just the type of book that you write that needs conflict. Is that, I mean, 
that is that is that is it fair to say that that's just what stories are? Is that what makes them interesting? Is that there's conflict? Is there always conflict? Yeah, I think there has to be. Yeah, well, that, it's, I mean, it's interesting because it makes a lot of sense to hear you say that. But I think, I think like my, this is actually one of the uh, things that have given me a mental block from even trying to get started on like, where do you start, right? Where do you even start creating something? And I think that I think conflict is the central thesis in a sense. I mean, it's kind of like if if you don't have a story without a con, like a, a you know a conflict. Well, I mean, you just can't, right? If you can't have a story without a conflict, then you kind of need to start there. And but yeah, of course, it has to have characters, it has to have a world. Right. But can't your conflict that, almost define many of those other elements that, for you? That's why I start with a conflict first. And again, that I'm not saying this is the right way. There's so many, everyone's different. There's so many ways to write. This is just how I write. But that's why I start with not the yeah. specific character's conflict. So for instance, uh, the conflict in The Hobbit is Bilbo is... is going on an adventure with the dwarves to take back um, Erebor and, you know, help, help the dwarves out. But the main conflict that's overcome is that it's at the same time Sauron is coming up to power and all this stuff is happening, but you don't even, you don't even see that, but it's, it's there still. And so yeah. for me, especially in epic fantasy, where it usually comes down to the fate of the world, that's usually what it comes down to. So the mm -hmm. overall conflict will eventually manifest itself to the main character, especially in a long book series. So I start with the main conflict. So here's this village eventually where my main characters are going to start, let's say. I focus first on, okay, what is this territory over here doing to aff affect them right now? What what is hap What is the main struggle here that's affecting them? If you want to write a story about a farmer in Ukraine and trying to, you know, tend to his crops, what's the main struggle right now? Well, it's the war in Ukraine. Okay, so he might have some specific stuff, even if he's not even close to the war. Maybe he's on the western side and he's dealing with family issues that live on the east, you know, where the war, you know, is where the struggle is really happening. I instead of worrying about the farmer first and what I'm going to tell about him, I focus on what is happening in the world now and what I kind of want the main conflict to be that eventually the main characters will get involved in. And again, that's more on the epic side of things. You don't have to have a story with an epic conflict like that. Um, for instance, um, I guess uh, like the Count of Monte Cristo, that's a great story with a great conflict. has nothing to do about changing the world or fighting, you know, like the king or emperor taking over a kingdom. Uh, it's, it's a more personal conflict, but with epic storytelling, I start with the main overarching conflict first. There's a term for it too, but I forget what it is. So, um, this is so, this is so cool because I've been thinking about like, we, you know, we've been binging 24 and, um, the funny thing about 24 is it's like Russian dolls. Like you, like in, in and I, again, I think they kind of like figured out a formula that worked early on. And then, like, the show took off, and so they basically just followed that formula for the rest of the of the shows, especially if you're an attentive person to story like I am. You're going to pick up on the patterns pretty quickly. Um, and what tends to happen is, like, the conflict that's introduced in the very beginning mm -hmm. usually gets resolved. Quickly. About half. Well, well, I mean, yes, um, I would yeah. say. In the grand fully, in the grand I, I would I would say that initial conflict fully gets resolved about halfway through, but maybe about a third of the way through or so, they start introducing like strands of like the big final conflict. And what's interesting is it's like you'll get you'll right. So just when you feel like you basically feel like the show is getting ready to come to an end, yeah, and then a whole 
other window of things opens up. And I've been thinking, like, how do they do that? Like, yeah. how do they write these to- like eight 24 episode seasons with, you know, hour long episodes with all this stuff going on? And I think conflict is, I mean, I know there's multiple things here, but I think conflict is a lot of the answer to that because it seems like you can just nest conflict. Like, you can start with this overarching conflict and you can create other threads of conflict by just sort of working backwards and saying, well, how would this thing over here, how would, th- how, how could we create a conflict over here that, like, in a sense, serves the master conflict in this way and when you do that across a few characters it's kind of like there's your story you know, I hate, to oversimplify it but. Yeah, i hate using like the term never and always i really do but I, i'm trying to think of a scenario where like for instance if you really want to have that satisfaction of the personal development of the growth of characters while also overcoming if you do have an epic story of like the fate of the world or the fate of the kingdom um, even though I don't really care too much for like comic stuff and like the Marvel, but the MCU did it perfectly. It took them a decade and it started with Iron Man and that was a pretty simple story. And then look at what the end result was, um, yeah. you know, literally the fate of the universe, you know, came, it was what it came down to. Yeah. And so in my opinion, this is where I hate to say always, but I would think that in most cases in Brandon Sanderson's books and Harry Potter, the seven books to really get that full accomplishment, it. It, it takes more than a book. It takes more than one movie. It takes several movies, yeah. it takes several books. That's just in my opinion to tell a story. Yeah. Epic. Um, but yeah, I think uh, the only, the only, the last thing about that is just, I think a great example of that is Dune. Um, before, huh. I mean, yeah, before, um, before House of Trades uh, uh, arrived on the, on the planet, everything was still happening there without them. You had, you had the desert, you had the spice, you had, you had already conflict going on there between the people that lived in the desert, the free, I think they're called the Freeman. Yeah. It's been a while since I've read and watched it. Um, and so you have all this stuff already there. And yet Paul, the main character of the movie isn't even there yet. And so right. Frank Herbert set up this world, um, separate from even the main characters that world exists without them. And so that's how I kind of look at setting up my world before I even introduce the main characters to them. So that finishes up kind of where my art is. Cool. All right. Well, let's talk about some really boring email and blog writing real quick. And then we'll get back to this. Oh, I can't can't wait to see. I told you I was way more excited about your stuff than than mine. Uh, But, uh, well, because it's just not as interesting. Anyway, so. uh, To be be honest, though, I'm not going to lie. Maybe talking about the fiction stuff is more interesting. Fiction is interesting. Look at like the MCU, Star Wars. That's just naturally how it is. But, and I was talking to you before we started recording. I've learned so much about um, presenting myself, about um, mm. how I want to set up my personal story and build my world so that when I do um, finish my book and try to get to publish and finish my video game that I already have a platform. And so really um, what you talk about is like really invaluable knowledge. Like we're getting free knowledge just listening to you talk and it, and it really is yeah. super beneficial. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, the... Well, you know, I, I actually did a podcast on this earlier today. Um, the question was, how important is design? And uh, because in my world, uh, people are really obsessed with like pretty things, right? They want a pretty website. They want pretty right, graphics. Right. They want pretty thumbnails for their YouTube. And um, uh, if I can remember the three things that I that I said, and I said, look, here's the thing. Like design, um, it captures attention. Uh, design is is sticky, right? Like like it, it like like for example, like a lot of people continue using Apple products, start and continue using Apple products because they're well-designed, right? So, so design can 
make you stick around in somebody's world. And, and there was one other thing I said as well. Um, but words sell. All Design is great for all those other things, but design itself does not sell. The only time when design sells is when you have like a brand or something where there are words that have been associated with that brand that make with the product. certain yeah. feelings. Yeah, like, like Nike or, or whatever, yeah. you know? And so it needs words. Um, and so the irony is, is that in order to, to, you've got all this great fiction, but in order to sell it, you have to have the other kind. You have yeah. to have the words like I'm talking about to get the other stuff, you know, out there, right? At least in this day and age. So it's just interesting. So, um, so real quick, email blog writing, this one won't take long. You know, begin with a topic. That's pretty clear. Um, uh, be, because you have to have a topic. I mean, you have to be starting somewhere before you start writing anything else. That seems fairly self-explanatory. Uh, you got to know what you want to talk about. I assume when you're talking about email, you're talking about like a newsletter kind of to like. So, uh, oh, uh, I should have clarified that. So, so yes, I mean okay. like a, even maybe a newsletter, but, but maybe even just like, you know, a normal like weekly email that you might get from a, from a, from a brand, especially in like the info um info space so if yeah. you ever follow info marketers and stuff and you're on their email list a lot of times they will write you every week at least and that's the kind of thing i'm talking about yeah. um when i'm writing emails and you can write emails for sales and write emails for um content and, and you know consistency uh and th those are a little different but um I'm, I'm thinking here more of content emails and um, some of this, you would do some of the stuff. I'm going to talk about marketing copywriting here in a minute. And if you were going to write a sales email, you would just do a lot of the things. You would just kind of combine the two, right? Um, so now sometimes what I do that is is maybe a little controversial, but I think it would only be controversial because because people don't really understand what it is. Um, uh, I, sometimes I use what's called Jasper.ai, um, which is an AI writing assistant. I, now it. it Two two quick caveats, real quick. Number one, I did not use such a thing for the vast majority of the time when I've been writing. I mean, I think I've been a member of this thing since, like, I think I've had it since, like, last fall, maybe. Um, and so the vast majority of my life writing, I had nothing like this. Um, and, and the second caveat is that it's really important that people understand that it is a AI, so artificial intelligence, writing assistant. All three of those words are very, are very important. Um, because when I first found this, I thought, well, um, great. Now the bot the robots are taking the writing away, so we're all screwed. Right. Like the last thing was human creativity and being able to write and things like that. And uh the reality is 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 that is so far from the truth because you can't use them like that. You it's actually a skill to learn how to use an AI writing assistant. And so what I use it for is is two main things. So when you're doing the kind of writing that I do. There is, is, and uh, to be honest, some of this is true about fiction. Like I was just saying is it's more formulaic than most people realize, yeah. especially when you're doing, when you're doing copywriting, it's, um, creativity a lot of times is the enemy. Like when you're inventing the wheel and trying to do all new stuff, that's, that's actually the enemy because there are some proven frameworks that people respond to and that generate sales and that facilitate connection and so yes you should put your own voice in you should put your own spin on the information um you should teach your own frameworks but you should you should do so with the ever you know with the, just the awareness that like there are just a few frameworks that work right pass problem agitate solve that is a timeless framework that will always work 
in marketing. It will just always work. There's ADA, A-I-D-A, attention, interest, desire, action. That will just always work in, in, in marketing. There's um, a framework called the before after bridge or another script called star story solution. There's, there's all these different scripts that you can plug your information into. And you should, because if, if you like to sell your thing and you don't want to reinvent the wheel, you should do what w works already. And so a, a tool like this will help you um, do things like that. Um, it will help you plug original information into proven frameworks. That's maybe a good way of putting it. Hmm. Um, another thing that I like to specifically use it for is to just spark creativity and generate ideas, um, you know, general ideation and stuff. It's like, I mean, my gosh, there's nothing worse as a nonfiction writer of any kind than a blinking cursor. It's the worst thing in the world. And so like a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll get the writing assistant to, to spark some ideas my way. And then I'll totally erase what it wrote and run with the idea that the, the general direction, because it, it, it prompted that general direction and then I'll run from there. So I don't even use this all the time. Um, sometimes I go ahead and use it both almost just as like a, a placebo effect. Like I'll go ahead and I've, I actually do most of my long form writing now in the tool, but a lot of times I don't need to end up using the tool. I just go ahead and write my own stuff and I just keep it handy in case I need to hit command J on my, on my keyboard to like give me some ideas. And a lot of the time I don't even do it. So when I'm doing content writing, plus the reality is it's just faster. Like if, if you actually do use it, and, which there's nothing wrong with it. There's plagiarism checkers in there and everything. Mm -hmm. You can actually use it to go ahead and, and write really good content that you just need to do some editing to and, and structure. And like I said, it's a skill to learn how to use it. And you can you can put out great work faster. So it's it's a business tool. It's a productivity tool. So sometimes when I'm doing email and blog writing, I will use an AI writing assistant. Most of the time, not. Sometimes I do. Um, and I will say also that with a tool like that, like, if I'm doing a blog for my ministry or something, for example, I, I, I don't do that. Um, this is more like for things that there is plenty of knowledge and business, more objective things that are out there on the internet or whatever that, that, that it, it can pull data and information from. It's harder to do with um, certain kinds of, of subject matter. It's harder to use them for um, because it, it's, not, it's not a fact checker, right? Like, like it, it will actually write factually incorrect things mm. because it's yeah. not a human it doesn't right. have right it, it it will write factually incorrect things and and it will even totally make up stories for you if you ask it to right so there's that um usually this kind of writing is more off the cuff so it's less planned i'm not going through wasting all this time outlining i'm really just kind of writing and letting the words go where they go and uh depending on like a lot of different factors depending on how well i know the subject matter depending on if I'm using Jasper or, or whatever, I can, I can bang out a, a, a couple, 3,000 words in an hour or two of writing, depending on, you know, the subject matter. Should this uh, kind of um, form of writing, either like in a blog post or in email, should it have more of an informal feeling then for the most part? Um, yes, it, it, it depends on, um, so you're, Education versus inspiration are, you write differently depending. I mean, obviously, well, so when I say inspiration, that might not be clear. Um, 
frankly, it depends on how salesy you're trying to be, is what I'm trying to say. If you're trying to be more educational, you can typically write in like larger paragraph blocks. You can do less typography emphasis and stuff like that. If you're trying to be educational, but with that spin towards action taking, mm -hmm. then you're going to write even this sort of helpful content um, in a, in a, in a structured typographical way that sounds really dirty, but, but in a, in a way that where you're using bold and emphasis and big letters and short paragraphs, short sentences and, and things like that to, um, to keep movement going because all the while, like every line has to sell the next line, right? Like, like yeah. the job of, of this line is to sell the line below it and to get them to keep reading because they could be less interested versus if it's something like, my gosh, like you would go to an article about the Lord of the Rings that just had complete walls of text because you love the Lord of the Rings and you will read that and it might be hard for you to read, but you will suffer through it anyway. Um, a lot of the times when you're doing, especially when you're doing marketing related stuff at all, it's not like that. Um, you know, you, you have to, I mean, you have to do a good job at selling, yeah. you know, the fact that somebody should be reading it um, all the way through it. You, you should be doing that. So um, informal. Yes. I mean, don't use big words. I mean, for God's right. sakes, I mean, Donald Trump, I'm telling you, he, of, I think there are many different <laughs> reasons, but yeah. one reason that he won the election, objectively speaking, in 2016, is because he spoke at a third grade level. You know what's funny? All his opponents made fun of him for that. But, but all the marketers know that's why he won. Yeah. Because he speaks the language of the people. Yeah. So anyway, just say, not to be political here, I'm just saying. Objectively speaking, even there's the, I even have a book who's written by a guy who doesn't like Trump. The, the title of the book is Win Bigly. And the point is, look, I don't like the guy, but here's like, here's this what? is why he is who he is, right? Um, so that that's all very uh, important. Um, so these are more off the cuff, right? Less formal, less technical. And then I do break often for editing and proofing uh, because these are also typically shorter, you know? Right, five, gotcha. you know, three to eight hundred words, or, or yeah, well, spending a month at thousand to three thousand yeah. words. Yeah, this is a couple hours, right? And so, or less, you know, maybe even less. Yes. Um, I guess let me go through. Just uh, I'll I'll get my the rest of my marketing copywriting out of the way. Is that cool? And then you can go back yeah, and go for it. Absolutely. But yeah, no, okay. you want to do it for sure. Okay, so so marketing copywriting. This is there's really like uh, a few big pieces to this. So one of them is it. You got to have a hook. So, can you define marketing copywriting first? Uh, I do. I can. Yes. Okay. Yes, I can. Okay. I can. So, so copywriting is writing, especially you know, marketing copywriting right. is you're you're writing to provoke a response. Okay. So a lot of times, so a way that I could put this more formally is direct response copywriting. So the idea is you're you're writing. You're. This is not. Even though it could loosely be considered copywriting, what I'm talking about is not the kind of thing that you would see on a billboard going down the side of the road necessarily, right? Or or on a Geico commercial or anything like that. This is this is imagine if you took something like an infomercial, like a late night TV infomercial, and wrote it on a on a website, on a website page. This is okay. more what I'm talking about. Okay. This is where you're you're you the way you are writing is meant to provoke an immediate response um, so that you can track and measure 
what's going on and and figure out right. So it's not it's not advertising, it's direct response marketing. Gotcha. Okay. So th- by far the most important part of copywriting at all. Like like this is 50%. Seriously, if you can get good at this first part, you can almost suck at the rest and be okay. Is the is the headline or what we call the hook. Okay. And and the hook has to have an angle and a payoff. That simple. There has to be an an angle to the marketing. And the angle is is sort of um it's a little amorphous. Um but it's like it's it's the thing that like it that gives you that emotional feeling. It's the it's the it's the it's the completion of the argument. Like um what's an example of something I can I can pull out here. So I have this um I'm working on this uh, mentorship program um, for my web design stuff. So a lot of people ask me, hey, how do you build a successful business? Will you help me? And so I, I put together this thing. And so um, I'm, I'm actually going to, for anybody who sees this on YouTube eventually in the future when I get my lazy butt um, and get everything actually going on here, I'm going to go ahead and put it on video. Uh, but that way, at least you can see it too so we can kind of jam on it. Um, and uh, so so this, so my hook, my my hook for this website says this. No nonsense digital business expert reveals how to build a successful web design business without charging extravagant fees. Even if you have virtually no experience, are scared to charge customers for your work. Oops, I got random emojis on my screen. Um, and have no earthly idea how or where to find clients. So that whole that whole thing together is an angle. Um, um it, like the it's it's kind of like. I don't know. It's the it's hard to explain, right? It's the whole argument together is the is the angle. The angle is that this no nonsense digital business expert is going to show you how to build a six figure business without charging extravagant fees, even if you've got no experience. Like you see how that 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 whole thing is like a logical unit of of thought. That's the angle. Um, and it could have been something entirely entirely different. Like um, let's see if I go here. Um, let's see if this is an active site um i think it i think it it is okay so share this type of stuff so i'm going to show you show you one here of uh let's see you seeing this okay yeah okay so on on this this is the most incredible free gift ever designed to help make you maximum money in minimum time so so this this whole idea here this it starts with this little guy up here why did dan kennedy aka the renegade millionaire maker come out of retirement and team up with russell brunson the co-founder of ClickFunnels to create the most incredible free gift ever, et cetera, et cetera. That is the um, that is the angle. Now, inside of this angle, there's a payoff. The payoff is maximum money and minimum time. That's the idea. This is this is this is what the payoff is. This is what you're gonna you're if you buy this thing, that's what you're gonna get. Um, you're gonna be able to make maximum money and minimum time. One more trafficsecrets.com. This is another good. ClickFunnels, Russell Brunson funnel. Want the want the secret to unlimited traffic to your website or funnel? Claim a free copy of the Underground Traffic Playbook to get hundreds or even thousands of hungry buyers to your websites and funnels. Right. So this together, and again, it's a skill, right? It's not just like, oh, here it is. Now you can do it too. I mean, it, it takes years of, of you know digging around in some of this stuff. Um, but the idea is that those things together are an angle and a payoff, and that creates your hook. And that's the most important part. And a lot of times, by the way, um, the cool thing about this kind of marketing is it's not like you create this, spend thousands of dollars, and hope to God you were right. 
Mm. Um, literally, when you start putting something out there and you start driving traffic to it, either through free content or paid content, or, you know, advertising or whatever, when you start doing that, you should pretty much immediately be running a test of two different versions. The, the, the internet is awesome. We have tools now built into many of our, uh, you know, our, our websites and things where we can very easily do that. So 50% of visitors, we can show digital business expert reveals how to build a six figure website business, yada, yada, yada. At the same time to 50% to the other 50%, we can show want to learn how to build a six figure business click below or something mm -hmm. a lot simpler or whatever. We can even test two entirely different versions of the page um, first and then say, well, which, which, which design of the page, which, which version of the page gets, gets the best. It's very, it's actually called scientific advertising because you determine just like in scientific testing, you, you determine a control. And once you get a winner from that first group, then you have a new control and then you begin the next test to yeah. test the next thing. And so it, it's really cool because you don't have to be right the first time. You won't be. I mean, it might take four, five, six, 10, 20 times before you get it right. And spending little bits of money or, or, or little bits of time to drive content and traffic to figure out what works. Hmm. Um, so that's the most important is to write the hook, the starting hook, and then testing from there. Um, identify the script. So usually, again, some form of problem, agitate, solve, or the before, after bridge, or the great big promise, or the AIDA, and there's other ones that I could mention as well. Um, again, not reinventing the wheel. You should never go to a blanking cursor on a sales letter having just no idea what you're going to write. I mean, obviously, you're not going to write it until you write it. I mean, that seems obvious. But you're going to at least have an idea of, okay, this is the script that I'm going to write. This is the framework of writing that I'm going to take that's going to support the hook that I've come up with. Uh, then you just start writing. That's step three. I mean, easy enough, right? <clears throat> start writing and just like figure that. out. Yeah, exactly. Just like that. Um, and then uh, the outline in this case, um, this is my fourth and, and final point on this. The outline just sort of comes along for the ride and happens uh, naturally. And, and what you'll end up doing is, uh, so I'm going to share my screen uh, just one more time. And for those who get to watch or and for nobody else's benefit for Alex's, but as you scroll down here, you can see these little, like a lot of times, like this headline right here, like he, no, he didn't like think, oh, okay, well, you know, he headline number two, if you build it, they will come. Like, he, you know, at no point was that the thought. It's just, oh, this sort of like arose naturally out of the text. And some of this is just like, yeah, it's, this doesn't necessarily headline what's below it. Rather, it draws attention. So a lot of times you're not even going to have a traditional outline here. The point is to break up the text, to break up the patterns. And it even creates what's called a secondary reading pattern. So like you can't always do this, but a lot of times if you just read like the, 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 the emphasized text, you actually get a, it's called the secondary reading pattern. You get a second story embedded mm. within the first story so that the people who skim get the idea as well um, yeah so that's just some of the some of the ideas but honestly like again marketing sales direct response copywriting is writing a hook identifying a script and then start writing i mean that is honestly what it boils down to it just takes a lot of a lot of time and study and practice to just be able to like pull concepts out of thin air you know like like i'm doing now just sort of talking yeah. about it and you know um so you, you, another thing you'll do as you're studying and researching for this is you create what are called swipe files. 
um, which is basically just keeping a, a data bank either physically or you know mentally or whatever or both of uh, funnels and things that you've seen before and, and go back and just modeling some of what other people have done and seeing if it works for you. You know, you don't copy anything verbatim right. because that would be stealing, but you model the success that other people have had and then put it into practice for yourself. And, um, and that's it. So. Cool. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, again, if you don't have any questions, learning a lot, no, cause I, I'm definitely someone who asks questions along the way. Like for instance, at meetings at work, when we're supposed to, it's a round table. I don't like round tables because if I have an issue to take care of, I'll go to you directly. And so that's kind of- Right, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cool. No, that's awesome. Awesome. Cool, cool. Well, good. Um, I'm I'm excited to get back into some some fiction stuff, so- Yeah, cool. So the first couple things that I talked about while starting my book, and one of the, I guess, things to know about the world building too, like say if you're writing a three-book series or in other cases, a 10-book series or a 14-book series, of course, you're going to be world building throughout most of it, but a lot of the world building happens initially. So if you're writing like book two of a book, you don't actually have to do all the world building that you did for the first one. But just a little note that I thought of. But so I start with world building and the overall conflict that's happening in the world and during the setting where the characters are going to be. Then this is the point where I finally make my characters. Um, I don't really have a process. It's kind of interesting. I actually don't really sit down and think, hmm, what characters am I going to do? I basically picture um, a setting, whether it's a city or a town, or I, I kind of have an overall goal, too, of how I want the world to advance and how I want the general conflict to shift. And so I just kind of I play with ideas of just very generally of what kind of people that I picture in the world and a lot to obviously make them interesting. Um, I'm not, you know, usually I have someone who might have some type of gift with the magic system, other person who doesn't, maybe someone who really wants to, but can't someone who has no idea. Um, so, I mean, writing your characters, as long as they're interesting, that they make sense, they have good motivations. Um, some notes I have here on characters is, um, you just need to make them believable. What interests do they have? Even if you're not necessarily writing specifically about this one hobby that they have, what does that hobby say about them? How would they perceive a certain situation? So um, there's that. And then also a really big thing, which really goes into my next step and probably the most important, especially starting out, is their motivation and goals. So let's say my motivation is become the CEO of a fortune 500 company. That is my motivation. And let's just say I go through an avenue of through some type of banking company. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, something happens where all the banks shut down. The currency in the USA goes crazy. Everything goes whack. Now I still want that. Wait, is this prophecy or fiction? I don't want to say, I don't want to say, <laughs> I don't want to say who told me this, but, <laughs> um, so if I still had the motivation of wanting to become a CEO, but all my experiences in the banking, obviously that can transfer over, but there's a new conflict. What other company am I going to go into? So those goals and motivations are going to shape the decisions that I make and how I handle conflict and all of that. So it's very important to know where your characters are they happy with their life do they want to change do where where are they now and where do they want to be 
Um, I guess there's room for, you can have a lazy character, but you still have to kind of put them towards stuff. So we change characters have to change through a book. I think, again, I hate saying always or never, but characters need to change and develop and overcome and achieve their goals or at least seek to achieve their goals and maybe fall short of it. This goes into the next portion. Um, it's well, okay. Question here then, yeah, if, if I can. So how, so I'm, I'm kind of, okay. So, so it made a lot of sense to me that we have this conflict. Um, I mentioned the 24 thing, how it seemed like they could like keep working backwards and, and create like new angles of conflict. Are you doing that before you get to characters or are you only outlining the main conflict? The reason, the reason I'm asking is because it seems like it still seems hard for me to think if I was think I'm thinking about myself. Okay. I'm going to try to write a fiction book. I now have this scenario in which the world, okay. The world is going to end or, or whatever. Like, I guess that feels so macro to me. And then my, and then characters feel so micro to me for some reason, maybe I'm not thinking correctly about characters, but I, I feel like, I feel like, how do you get from the world's going to end to like, you know, Jane in the coffee shop? Um, you know, like it feels like a really big jump to me. So like, are you, are you saying, okay, here's this main conflict and then here's another lesser conflict that supports that conflict. And then here's another one. And then do it characters. Yeah. Or do you jump straight from the main conflict into characters? I guess main characters. Is that, that's what you do. Yeah. Straight from the main conflict into characters. And I'll kind of get into how that works and how to make it easier. Okay. Um, when I talk about actually writing, and it's a very, um, I mean, everyone does it. It just, you know, if, when you think about it, though, it makes sense. So I'll definitely talk about okay. that. But um, one thing I will say is that that helps is a lot of times, again, that big overarching main conflict, especially because I look at the epic fantasy side of things, that reader is going to slowly understand and see that big conflict unfold over the length of the book a series of books and so you don't have to think and worry about the main conflict and okay it's the start here's the characters and here's the main conflict it's it's you know it's usually not like that um but i'll get to i think i'll be able to answer your question a little bit on how to make that transition from looking out over it and looking at it as like a omniscient being almost and seeing all the puzzle pieces versus okay now here's this character and what do they matter? So I will. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, I'll I'll make that switch for you. But the one thing that does help to start is to put yourself in the shoes of that character and to formulate their motivations and make them that real character. And now, so after I think of my characters, um, and generally speaking, how I want them to be is, um, I now I go into outlining and how I my camera's a little weirder. I'm trying to fix that. How I outline is I will start from the very end of the book. So I start with how, like, the last chapter and how I want the book to end. Um, I think about, because now I've already set up the motivation for my characters. At this point, too, um, typically by the end of the book, the either the mate, if it's a one book thing, if it's just a, a novel, then the main conflict of the whole world will hopefully be resolved at the ending here. And then also, but if it's a series of books, usually you introduce it somehow. But I think of the end of the book. Okay, here are the my characters. 
where are they going to be? Um, what is the big thing that happens at the end? Um, is it going to change the world? Where are they going to, where's their position going to be in the world once this is over? Are their relationships together going to change? It's, and it takes, I actually write quite a bit. It's a very detailed, I don't write like, oh, here's the last chapter. Or I don't, you know, write chapter 28, 29, 30. I just write, here's the ending. And here's where, here's where everything, here's like, I guess the setting for the second book. Here's where everything ends. After that, I work backwards a little bit. Um, so I have to kind of know, I don't really think about twist it, um, how to get to the end. Um, I work my way backwards to say, okay, if here's step 10, the king gets um, beheaded by the main character. The evil king gets beheaded by the main character. Okay, let's take a step back. How the heck did this guy get in the castle with all the guards surrounding him? Okay, so now I have to think about how he got into the castle. And then, so I take a step back and then I kind of reach up to that moment where he kills the king. And then I outline slightly before that. Okay, so he made it to the castle. What made him think that he could get into the castle? Did he receive a special power beforehand? Did he receive a prophecy from some wizard? And so you, you just kind of work your way backwards. And that kind of works in tandem. Usually, um, especially with, again, epic fantasy, with the magic of the world. And, you know, hopefully either your character is involved with, with the world somehow and is either influenced by magic or knows someone who is part of that system. Um, so that's kind of how I do I outline backwards. But I only do it to a certain point. I'll outline backwards maybe about 25% of the way. So outline the last quarter of the book. And then... Um, I'll start from the beginning and I know it's kind of jumping back and forth, but now that I have a picture of the end, I can say, okay, now that I know how the book ends, I can kind of get a good feel for where I want my characters to start and how their journey begins. And usually, um, so typically characters won't do anything different in their life unless there's an external force put upon them. So my personal method of doing it, and it's probably just pretty common elsewhere, like for instance, Lord of the Rings, Frodo gets pushed to take the ring to Rivendell because he has the ring and he's the only one who can do it. So he's literally pushed to do it. He he has to do it or else, you know, yeah. cry like a baby and throw it to the side. It's kind of the same thing for, for me. Um, Frodo didn't intend to destroy the ring at Mount Doom at first. Um, his intention was to bring it in fact wasn't even bring it to rivendell at first it was to meet gandalf at brie which was a lot closer i guess probably half the distance give or take so and um but his journey ended up being longer it's the same thing with this so you have to have a push from the world an external first a force that says okay character here's where we're going to push and that's where the character motivations come in too so for instance bilbo baggins wasn't someone who liked adventure at least so he thought and it turned out that Bilbo really liked adventures. And so if you try to push one of your characters, especially a gentle nudge into one direction, and they're just not motivated at all to do it, or their goals aren't towards there, there's no interest, there's nothing there, they're not going to do it. And so, and that's why I outline. That's why it that's a perfect example why it exhausted me when I tried to be a gardener and write and just write and see what happens. Because all of these things I would think about, I write, a couple chapters and i think well why would this character do that or what would happen if this happened and i got so burnt out so that's why i outline very rigorously so i like that can can you give me the one 
I think I understand most of that. The one question that's coming to my mind is, um, you may not even be able to answer this because I'm sure it's different for everything. Like, do you have a sense for how long it takes you in the real world to write the ending? Like, is this something that, okay, I'm going to start writing my first novel or whatever, right? Like, like, you know, should I expect after a, a week of, of doing this for a couple hours a day that I should have my ending? Or like, does this normally take you months or like, like you, I don't know what you would call yourself in terms of like your experience level yeah. and stuff. And it, it's probably not fair for me to ask you to judge that, but, but just like, do, you know, how long does it take you uh, to write your, to outline your end date, you know, to, to really get a sense for where the story is going? How long does that typically take you if you have an idea? The ending for me is, takes very, is very quick to write. And I can usually think really? of, at least in my opinion, a pretty interesting and satisfying ending quickly. The thing that takes the longest is point A to point B, getting from the beginning to the end, um, simply because. But wait, is it, wait, but, but wait, is this because. Is this because you've already spent hours in the, sh you know, mulling over it or like when you're going to sleep at night or like, you, you know, I mean, do you already have a lot of this thought out before you sit down to write like we were talking about earlier? I would say so. Or, yeah, I would say yeah. for let's just say it takes me let's just say it takes me five hours to sit down five really, you know, diligent hours and grind out just outlining the ending of the book. Shouldn't take longer than that, at least for me. Let's say it takes five hours. For every hour I spent writing the ending of, for the outline for the ending of the book, I probably have spent a, a few hours thinking about it. Fair enough. Um, just yeah, generally, yeah. maybe not specifically hard thinking, but just sure. generally of, because uh, then you're thinking of everything in tandem, the characters. And then once I start thinking about the characters and what they can do, I think, well, wait a second, if they can do that, then that would just ruin my magic system because then this could happen. And so there's a lot of thinking. Now, granted, again, this is really specifically geared towards fantasy because of the magic system. And when you have that on the side, there's a lot you have to think about, about making sense, about being too powerful, about what breaks the magic system. And so there's a lot like, for instance, I'm kind of at a point in my book where I know what I want the magic to do to the characters and have them be able to do. But I want to make sure that in doing so, it won't affect things down the road for me and, you know, either create a situation where something doesn't make sense or people will say, oh, well, this happened the first book. So why don't you just do that? You know, I, I want to make sure that everything is in line. So the outline. No, I'm going to ask a dumb and maybe irrelevant question. Um, the force in Star Wars, is that? Yeah. A magic system in the sense that you're using the term or yeah i'd say so yeah okay yep yep the force uh, i would i would say that's definitely definitely the magic system there okay and then um, the lord of the rings doesn't have lord of the lord of the rings doesn't have much of a magic system i'm it does there is magic in there let me let me say that it's just not manifested and used as much as in like other books Right. It's not, yeah, it doesn't really seem to be like a frame, a specific framework for how they interact with the world. Yeah. It's more of just like, oh, they, like, you know, yeah, there's these little things that different types of beings can do, yeah. but it's, that's a, it's not like a controlling yeah. force, you know. And it's a little, it's taken longer for me too, because I am trying to think of something that's, nothing is wholly original, but trying to think of something that's quite original. And I think I have a pretty good idea for something. And so I'm just trying to really put the pieces together and how to make that work. It's going well, but 
like at the beginning where the conflict really starts, because I think in the first couple chapters, mm -hmm. you should really get those characters going and say, okay, right. like, all right, let's push them out the door. Here's where they're going. Here's where they're off to. And so I'm really looking at chapters one and two, and I, I, I know the scene, I see it happening, and I just need to know specifically, <clears throat> we're, we're talking a little bit earlier before this podcast about demonic possession. Is it yeah. really demonic possession? Is it someone that has a mental illness and they need, you know, medicine to seek help or a psychologist, mm -hmm. or are they faking it? So like, I, I guess to kind of use that in a way where there's this thing happening at the beginning of my book and what exactly do I, how exactly do I want it to affect my characters? Yeah. Um, Cause there's just be re repercussions down the road, depending on how I want to go. Do you, and I don't mean to rabbit trail too much on the rap on the, on the magic system thing, but do you tend to, to follow Brandon Sanderson's like rules that, that, he, that he's outlined for that? Have, have you heard him talk about his rules for magic systems? Um, yeah. So I've listened to them. I can only tell you like the first one, but the other ones I'm familiar with. Um, so I use that as a guideline. Well, I've got yeah. this. I do think actually they should be followed. I think they're very good rules, but no, I yeah. can't like recite them and say, you know, oh, diligently. Yeah, no. yeah. But no, I think that they're excellent rules to follow for sure. Yeah. In general, I, I mean, yeah, it's probably nothing that you're like actively thinking about all day, but, but like yeah. as you're creating your magic system, you're like, you know, you might, you're maybe like, oh, this is starting to bump up against something that feels yeah. unnatural. And then it's like, oh yeah, I think he, I think he mentioned this rule or something, you know? So, gotcha. So, yeah. Um, like the only one that I can really remember is just the fact that like, you, it, it can't make you God, like the magic system can't make you God because you know, then anything's possible, right? Like it can't, it can't give you like omnipotence basically. My um, personal flavor, I lean more. I like being in the middle of Lord of the Rings and like Brandon Sanderson's books. I, and not to say mm -hmm. that Brandon Sanderson isn't like, there's much more books out there that have more magic than his does. Like as far as everyone being able to use it and affected by it. But, um, I like somewhere in the middle. I definitely like the magic to be present and noticeable and usable by one or two of the main characters and side characters. But I also like that realism of you know there's people who can't use it or don't even know about it um so i kind of like yes. the middle ground there um cool so yeah so that's how i kind of outline and then um my outline is very detailed i would say maybe 20 to it depends yeah probably at least 20 pages will be a detailed outline of just the book it's really a mini condensed version of the book a synopsis if you will um and then also at the beginning of it, I'm also labeling terms that I want to use. I make personal, even outside the outline, I make personal mm -hmm. notes just as far as, okay, here's this city. And then here's how this was affected here. And here's how it affected this person. I just make my own personal notes. So I know where I'm going um, yeah. with it. I'm sure uh, this is like very personal to you, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have to have you actually show me one of these sometimes so that I can like put the, so that I can actually look at like. Once I'm, uh, once I'm done fully outlining this book, I'm. I have a pretty good chunk of it. I have the ending down, of course, and then a lot of other stuff. I'll send it to you. A lot of yeah, it will just good. be chicken scratch, probably, but um, I'll send it to you as being see. That's cool. I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm all into seeing the behind the scenes. I want to see Absolutely. That. And then when I'm done so. with the second draft, probably, I'll send it on over your way. Um, now, and so after the outlining, and I actually kind of write some while I outline, um, that's when I know the ending. And I'm already and, at the very beginning. And I okay, only so, write so, very little. Uh, so, like, give me a sense. Sorry to be so nosy. Give me a sense for the for sure. the level of detail 
in your outline. I mean, well, you asked me the same question, but, but it's like, you know, Jane goes to a coffee shop on Saturday morning. I mean, is that, is that too detailed? Is that at that point, is that just writing the book or like, um, let me me put it this way. I will not, when I outline, I don't do prose. I don't say like, I will not say Steve Schramm walked into the bookstore and noticed the shadowy figure in the core. I don't relate that. I would say, I would say, you know, chapter two or whatever. Steve, um, Steve's at the bookstore. He notices this guy in the corner, definitely very sketchy. Um, and it's, and sometimes you as Steve do not know, um, you can see that he's sketchy, but you don't know his presence there. But me as the author, I'll put a note, obviously like this guy is sketchy because he's from here and that's why he's wearing this. And then I'll go on again with editing. I mean, with kind of outlining. So that'll be a personal note for me. So the outline is very much of giving me notes and also outlining what I want to happen. The main thing that I cover is obviously there's description of the chapters. There's like playful banter between characters. So like what I'll do is I'll say, okay, in this scene, here's where it starts. Um, here's where I want the chapter to end. Here's what needs to happen in this chapter. So how do I get there? What are some big points? And then after I get that done at the end, I'll make notes like, okay, this character's in the scene. Um, let's just say, Steve, you're the main character. I'll say, um, I I actually kind of, yeah, I'll show you pretty soon kind of how I outline it, but I'll say, Steve, um, how did his motivations get solved? Does he, is there anything, um, like what character development did he have with the other characters? And then I'll say, you know what, this is a really good time for him to connect with this other character, Alex. They have kind of similar mindsets on stuff, but I could see where they'd have disagreements. So let's get them talking a little bit and I'll like make notes like that. And then when I'm actually writing is when I do my prose and I'll look at my notes. I'll think, yeah, I'll try to figure a situation. Maybe Alex will tell an off color joke and Steve will kind of find it funny and wonder why he thought of that. Cause it relates to this. And then I'll, te- and then I'll, I'll write about it. So that's kind of how, how I do it. Um, cool. yeah. so the writing, I don't, I definitely don't outline, okay, this paragraph, write this, you're going to write this or write this, write this. It's mostly here's what's going to happen. Here's where it needs to go. And what's the character development in each of those chapters. That's the biggest thing that happens. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That helps. Um, and then, yeah. So just kind of going into the, obviously the next thing is, is writing. Um, I, I, I say this because I've heard of people writing differently. I, it makes sense for nonfiction. It doesn't for fiction, but some people do write, um, this way for fiction. Some people do not write chronologically for fiction. They'll, um, they'll write like, the couple beginning chapters and then they'll say oh um i really want to write like this big scene happening here and they'll do that i actually do see i'll get into i'll get into that in a moment i have to write chronologically um i outline backwards so that i know the ending but i have to write chronologically or else i just i get confused with the time jumps and then if i like if i write chronologically in this place but then as i'm writing if i want to change some stuff i don't know it just seems very out of line to me. It just doesn't work with how I think. So I, I write chronologically. Yeah. I think um, I have to do that too. Um, yes. For sure. yes. Um, and this is where, um, so this is where I hope to answer your question, Steve, on, um, getting, looking at the, the overall epicness of this big conflict and all the, the clouds, you know, clashing and the gods are mad at each other too. Okay. Here's these people. Um, most people, write in third person limited 
Um, it's not like a big secret, but that's how I write. And it really just puts the focus on the character. So third person limited, I, you, Steve, you're the main character in my story. You're in the coffee shop. I am writing as you and what you see. So if you go into the coffee shop and the shadowy guy at the table has a knife, you don't know he has a knife. So me as the author, I cannot tell the reader that that guy has a knife. You, Steve, walk in and you see that the guy's a little sketchy. You've kind of had been mugged before, so you want to try to sit at the end of the table. And so I describe your behaviors, what you're thinking, and what you know. But my knowledge that I share to the reader is very much limited to who you are and what you know. Um, so that kind of helps bridge the gap of you're not worried about what's going up in the sky. You don't even know what's going on up there. Who cares about what gods are fighting? You don't even know if they exist or when they existed. All you care about is, oh my gosh, there's a shadowy guy at the end of the table, but I really need to be here. I hope he doesn't stab me. And that just really quicks you, quickly sucks you into character development and writing that character and, and focusing on, on that perspective. And I like to have two or three main characters. And so very important that when you do switch characters that there's that noticeable shift in how they think even your writing style is going to be the same like i'm some authors are really good and some have really done like where they'll shift their whole writing style depending on the perspective that's really hard to do it takes a lot of practice i'm definitely not there yet i don't know if i ever will be or want to do that but at least how the character thinks and the decisions that they make and how they talk definitely needs to be um a noticeable shift when you're switching character point of views there um Okay. So, um, all right. So, so two things. So you wrote down here, um, again, and, and you talked about this characters, but you say characters, characters, characters stick to the characters, right? This yeah. is what you have wrote. So I was going to say, like, can you elaborate on that a little? Like, what were you thinking when you, when you wrote that? Like, like, are you, are you thinking like the point of the story is the characters? So like, don't, don't get too lost in the weeds of the world or the whatever, yeah, exactly. Stay with the character development. Is that what you're trying to get at there? Exactly. So in Dune, obviously you want to know how the government unfolds and, you know, how, you know, how the, the freemen, are they going to, you know, end up overtaking the planet, but, you know, their rightful homeland or, you know, what what's going to happen? You obviously want to know that stuff. But if you just describe it like a historical thing and say what's going to happen and there's no main character, then it then there's no personal investment in it. There's so, no story. There's no story. There's literally no story. So I say characters, 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 because literally that's the only thing that matters. Obviously, you have to have a good setting. Obviously, you have to have a good story. But there's no story without characters. There's no There's no purpose. There's no... So yeah, you. so that's why you focus on the characters and the character development, making them real, their relationships with it, just everything to do with making a character a real human. Well, and it's like, you know, Star Wars example is an easy one. It's like Luke Skywalker blowing up the Death Star is fairly interesting, but it it's only one layer of problem. Like we've talked exactly. about before, the yeah. different layers of problems. It's far more interesting that Luke became somebody as a result of doing that, based on the person that he was, and and also that he he defeated that philosophical issue of good versus evil um, in that particular story, right? So so yeah, developing the characters sort of sort of leads to that um and then the other thing is you do mention here in in in, in our notes about uh about first person being very popular now um you yes. mentioned twilight as an example now believe it or not actually and i'm, I'm, I'm gonna lose a main card for this but i actually really like the twilight movies um i thought they mm -hmm. were fairly decent 
Um, it's been a while since I've seen them, but but I actually thought they were, they were pretty decent. I've never read the books. Um, so like, how how are the books written? Like, so first, first person. person can, yeah. can you give me an? Can you give me like an idea? I mean, I know what first person is, but you know, can you give me an yeah. example? Yeah. So instead of saying, you know, Bella Swan saw, I, I'm a I'm a semi Twilight fan. I read the books, and it was a big thing when I was in high school. So I'm very much yeah. on your side with that. Um, so yeah, cool. Bella Swan. Um, saw Edward Cullen and she hoped that um, he would notice her. It, instead, it's, I, I actually, I I would never write in first person because of one, I think it's so difficult to do it. I just wouldn't know what to start. So this is going to be a poor example, but um, like he looked at me in uh, his, uh, when his eyes saw me, I just started to tingle and I couldn't bear it. So I looked away. So it's very much you, that you are that. You, like you are the character. Yeah. There is a, one of the guys that does the um the writing excuses of Brandon Sanderson. I'm sorry, I can't think of his name. I think the name of the book is I think it's just called Serial Killer. Or I'm a serial killer, where it's a first person and he's a teenage boy, I think, and he's a serial killer. Um and it's uh mm-hmm. it's I, I I haven't read it. I really want to because apparently it's it's very well done um with just the mind of of you know working and stuff. But um again, it's very popular in young adults. I um not sure why. I'm sure there's a reason for that, but it's just very common in young adult fantasy. And I think I never read them, but I think the Hunger Games were written in first person. I think, um, I think maybe not though, but it's just very common for um for this to be written that way. But the last point that I have is I put in all caps envision scenes. Um, even though um reading is just reading, there's it's really just one medium of storytelling. Um, I'm very much a music person and very much a visual person um i like playing video games i like listening to music even though i can't play an instrument i just never really tried learning um i love music and so when i am thinking about it helps me think about the ending of the book climactic scenes um really serious scenes um i always have listened to like a song or a couple songs that will get me in the mood to think of a scene that I want to write. And so when I think of a scene, I list, I think about it while I listen to music. And while I think about like visually how it would be um, almost like thematically, like if a movie were to be made about it. So I really thinking about those big scenes get you excited so that even when you're going through the quote unquote boring parts where you're developing the character and kind of having the characters interact, nothing really is exciting going on. Obviously, it can still be good and interesting, but those parts where it's, oh my gosh, here's this huge battle, and this person probably will die because they said they would sacrifice themselves for this. Is that really going to happen? And then in those moments, I think about like, you know, just a song to help me get into the emotional state of what the characters are feeling and what's going to happen. Yeah. So interesting. Interesting. That's, I think that would be very helpful for me to help visualize things. Um, I have one last question for you, yeah. I think. And um, it's it's gonna be another one where I hope I like can actually <laughs> get get the question across. Um, but like I I thought this concept of do you know what I mean if I say like the messy middle? Does that like of the book? Oh well, well, just uh, no, not necessarily of a book, but just um, in doing anything, right? So there's there's a a period of like, especially for a lot of creatives, right? There's a period of like excitement, ah, new thing, okay, and then like as something is coming to a close it's kind of gets like exciting again because it's like mm-hmm. time to yeah. launch it we start talking about it and like, finishing it up and getting it out there but then there's this messy middle of stuff that has to get done so 
the, the first version of the question that I was going to ask you is, what's your favorite part of the writing process? I would like to know that. But I would also like to know, like, how do you get through? Like, the you know, the boring, what are the boring parts? How do you get through them? I mean, I'm, I know my attention span, right? And I, I know what kind of person I am. The kind of person I am is I like to start new things, but finishing things is not always my favorite. So, like, in my business, I have a team of people who help me with mm -hmm. finishing things because I'm a starter. Um, and, and so obviously in order to stay in business, I also have to be a finisher. And so I have people right. who don't help me with that. Um, but you know, when you're writing, you don't really have that, right? It's all about what you can produce. Right. And so how does that, you know, I mean, maybe you just enjoy everything and, and that's probably fine. And maybe, you know, writing for the sake of writing, but just, do you have any thoughts about, about those things? Yeah. So my, my favorite part of the writing process is since I, since I do now realize that I am very much an architect, I really enjoy um figuring out the details and how everything connects how the character connects where the story goes how the magic system comes in and then also thinking in my mind other books that i want to write that's in the world and how that might connect i love just thinking about that not even i guess that's a little bit of world building but really specifically thinking about how directly how i want this story to go in light of all those other mm. things and then um thinking yeah. of the ending because um once i know how the characters are going to end and the big payoff at the end that gets me excited because i know if i get there it's going to be really worth it um as gotcha. far as writing getting after the beginning which was exciting and then figure out the ending which is exciting the middle parts there's two different things that you can do to really keep up the motivation well i guess first of all your book should be good no matter what even the slower <laughs> parts should be interesting and want to keep you reading so having said that um, when you're going through a couple chapters where it's um, putting in the pieces together to get set up for the big part coming up, um, one thing that you can do is just keep your eyes focused on that big part. Um, you know, if it's not too much of a lull, it's like two, three, maybe four chapters before you get to a big part. Um, just keep your eyes focused on that. And maybe, again, I can't do this, but um, what's kind of recommended sometimes is go ahead and jump ahead and write that part if you want or write part of it and go get excited about it and then go back and, and keep going. Um, the second thing is it's your book. Uh, think of something interesting to put in there. So your guys are sitting at a tavern and all of a sudden like a fire breaks out. Obviously you can't just be super random with it. It has to fit into the world somehow, but wow. like, yeah, have something interesting happen. Um, why not? It doesn't have to be outrageously, you know, out there. Like, say if it's a magic system that you're dealing with that has certain powers, okay? And the main character's trying to figure out, and all of a sudden, like, one of the characters, like, falls and, like, breaks their arm or something. Like, that's random and sudden. Then one of the characters finds out that, wow, like, he can heal them. And then all of a sudden, in the oh, kind of yeah, the boring cool. part where the characters are talking, trying to figure this out, you're like, holy crap, like, this character can heal, apparently. So, and then you... <laughs> And then you get the oh, yeah. and then you get the reader cool. then you get the reader thinking like wow like if he could heal then that means that like maybe his mother who's been ill may I wonder if he can heal a disease and not just a broken bone like so oh, yeah. you can just add and that's just and that's where I'm, my mind goes where when I'm trying to think about exciting stuff to put in how it relates to magic and you just you just go with it and that's how you stumble upon the aha moments when you think of something like that like the falling and breaking of the arm but then you're like oh wow. If I put that in there, then it just changes the whole game. And it fits oh, that's so perfectly. cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's just kind of how. Love that. Yeah. But that's all I have. Okay. One last question on that. 
do you yeah. find okay when, when when stuff like that happens because it obviously yeah. does do you find yourself having to go back and rewrite other things to make things make sense with that or does that not happen often typically the aha moments happen during my outlining and when i'm thinking about it but if it happens oh, gotcha. okay. if it happens when i'm writing um you just keep writing and then you make a note of it and then when you edit you just go back and change it so fair enough yeah yeah you just keep writing and even if it changes some stuff in the beginning because i'm not a gardener I can't go back and edit or else I'll get, I'll, just, I'll get frustrated and burnt out. So I just got to sure. keep writing. Cool. Very good. So anyway, um, that was fun. Yeah, absolutely. That was, okay, wait, I have one more question. I can't help it. <laughs> That's right. But, 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 okay, like I go back and I, maybe it's just because I like to read what I write. I don't know, which sounds really self, you know, absorbed. Um, But like, do you, you see, you're not a gardener, right? You're a writer. Like, how often do you go back and just, like, read what you wrote, like, for logic and just consistency? Like, do you ever do that? Or <laughs> do you just keep on trucking? Or I would say, um, like, a normal amount. Okay. Like, fair enough. I, it's it's okay. mostly because yeah. I stumble upon it. Like, I'll, like, look through my folders and be like, oh, here's here's this that I wrote. And then I'll read it. And I'm like, oh, that was interesting. And then I never purposely sit down to read anything I write. Is that me? No, I just mean like as yeah. you're writing it, as you're writing oh, it. Oh, as I'm writing. Oh, yeah, as, as you're writing, writing it. Yeah. Oh, I wrote. So, I wrote. You know, I four you, paragraphs. You. And then you go back and like read what you just wrote and say. So the next writing session that I do, yeah, I'll like go back like three pages or so. I see the beginning of the chapter and read and it just so the mentality. And I'm like, okay, then yeah. I'm, then I'm good to go. I, I, now I, I do that. I I guess another thing that I have to think, even though I do outline my book, um, it's before my uh, writing session, which is usually like two hours long, I have to prep myself for about a good hour. Usually it's when I'm like driving just because it's a good time to think. And at that point, I can't sit down and write without having to think about what I'm going to write, if that makes sense. Sure. I yeah. have to beforehand think, okay, my characters are here. I'm specifically, this is really getting into detail. That like, I will think, okay, specifically, I want this character to say this to that person. When they're walking through this village, I really want him to notice that. Because that's the kind of person he is. And that's when I really, that way when I sit down, I know, okay, I know what I'm going to write. And then of course, some, and then that's where I do let it flow. Because I already have it in my mind. And if something comes up that I think about, then I'll kind of venture towards it a little bit. And so there's obviously a little bit of guarding that's kind of done along the way, but it's mostly planned out. Yeah. Very good. Cool. Awesome, man. Um, I'm excited to kind of show you what I have. And I'm excited for you to get into writing some fiction, Steve. Uh, I can't I can't wait. I can't wait to see what you have. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have to my outlining. I'll, I'll send it over to you. I'm going to have to meditate a little on the uh, on the conflict thing. I think that really opened up a world of understanding for me that like is really obvious, like it's there. But it's um, it it's 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 I don't know. It's just something I hadn't thought about before where it's like, oh, yeah, we're this is an obvious place to start. Um yep. I think just starting is what has scared me to this point. Like, how what does it look like to start this? And I think that is a good place. So and tried um, things too. So should we do story of the week? Uh, real story quick? of the week. And we'll round it out probably right around two hours. So maybe hopefully this will become a new norm of two hours every time. But I mean, uh, for our listeners, this was sake, this was fun. But I, I'm enjoying hey, the heck out of it. Was, uh, us at one and a half speed, two speed. They can skip over you, skip over me. They can, you know, hundred percent. Or just not even choose to listen to us. Well, that would be unfortunate because they're there. I mean, I hope somebody does because we're talking about some really awesome stuff here. So it's, awesome. um, it's so exciting. Uh, I'll, go, I'll go first. Um, I have, I, I, I have, <laughs> I have three, but two of them are kind of the same one. 
so just super super quick. No, just just the first one is just mad respect. Um, uh, Taylor Hawkins, um, uh, Foo Fighters drummer. He died this week. Um, and that is really sad. I I think you you might have said it was drug or overdose related. Maybe. Um, he was had heart pain, chest pain. They were on tour, and he died. And that really sucks because Taylor Hawkins was an awesome drummer, and Foo Fighters are an awesome band. Um, so just I guess more than anything, pay respect to him. He's uh, I'm a drummer, and he's just always been a huge influence on my drumming. And um, so that sucks. You yeah, know? It, just, it just yeah, it sucks. It sucks. Um, the other, so the the really interesting story is um, so again without going all it, it, all into it, um, the Daily Wire is just a really interesting. Um, it kind of started as a news outlet, but now they're actually becoming more of like an entertainment company. And yeah. so familiar with Jeremy uh, Boring or or Ben Shapiro, these guys, um, they are, are, are part of this. And what's interesting is they are really trying to help create an alternative for, for those of us like, like me who don't necessarily buy into the wokeness and the political left stuff. Like if you're into that kind of stuff, okay, very great, cool. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I'm not. And uh, and neither of these guys. And and what's really interesting is I'm just the story here is just watching them step up to the plate. Actually, I decided to become a subscriber um, today. Well, I say today, it was yesterday as we were recording this, but mm. on Thursday, um, I decided to become a um, uh, a subscriber uh, because I believe in what they're doing, and uh, they're they're really trying to create some awesome content with just good, you know, not like overtly like, you know, Christian or Jewish or anything like that in your face, but more so just wholesome conservative content that, you know, you'd be, uh, you'd be good to let your kids watch. And so I bought, you can get right now, you can get 45% um, off of your first year with a subscription code. Um, I think, I think there's two you can use. I think one's build the future. The other one is, is, um, fight woke Disney. I think <laughs> so they just did this announcement um uh, of this recording of disney executives where they basically talked about a specific agenda that their content was going to start really hard intentionally pushing for children and um uh some of us on the conservative side aren't very happy about that so the daily wire has committed to spending 150 million dollars over the next three years on kids content alone Mm -hmm. um and so I, I'm not even going to watch probably most of what's on there, but I support what they're doing in that regard. And I want to be a small part of helping to support it, um, for the long term. So, um, I did decide to do that. And in a, in a corollary to that, like literally last week, um, or might even been this, no, I think it was last week. Yeah. They, they launched a video for Jeremy's razors, which is basically like a, a Harry's alternative, basically Harry's, uh, razors, um, in it for for better you know lack of a better term they they basically canceled the daily wire and um i it, or they had problems and there was a conflict there of some sort and so daily wire's response was to basically create a whole company uh called jeremy's razors they have you seen the video for this um yeah the, yeah and there's did you watch it you did you saw it yep i is it is it is it's good it is quite possibly the most epic sales video I've ever seen in my life. And I say that not because it's overtly salesy, although it is in some ways, but it's just, it's just kind of like if you identify like at all with that worldview, like you're probably about to be buying some ragers. Like I, I, I haven't yet. I'm kind of surprised. Um, only because I'm, I am happy in, I am a happily subscribed, um, dollar shave club individual and I have been for a very long time. Um, but I, I don't know. I could maybe see changing. And, um, Anyway, so since they launched that last week, they um, 
they had 45,000 subscribers, yeah. um, which is like Crazy. huge. And, and with 45,000. And what's interesting is it's like they made the point that, you know, you could do this with almost anything because people, especially conservatives, I mean, you know, it's just, it's like, it's, frankly, it's time to speak out. It's time to not just like, you know, be on the sidelines or whatever. And uh, you could do this with almost any product. And that's like, yeah, that they're like, yeah, that's the plan, right? So so look for more stuff coming. But um, I just, I found some of those things interesting. And so I, I, I took on a Daily Wire subscription because, hey, they're taking on Disney. And Disney spent $25 billion on content alone in 2021. $33 billion, I think, is the plan for 2022. And, um, you know, these guys are like, yeah, let's, let's bring it on. Let's do it. And I think there's something really cool and courageous yeah. about that and I stand behind it so well Steve you cheated twice because you got three stories but I only have one but it's a good <laughs> I'm so sorry everyone's <laughs> talking about it and we're going to talk about it and that's uh let's do it Will Smith beating down on Chris Rock man ah the Fresh Prince man of, he put the smack down on him one of the weirdest things I've ever seen and I, I didn't watch it live I just saw like Will Smith and yeah. and I didn't know if it was real or not. As soon as I watched, I was like, "Oh, like that's legit." That he really mm -hmm. punched him, and I don't even know what to say. I I have a lot of stuff to say about it, but I just it just blew my mind. I just there's someone mm -hmm. to get up and approach him, and someone who's just standing there, and just from the simple fact of you're just punching someone who doesn't know what's coming, and it's right. And Chris just took it like a champ, and. Well, obviously yeah. he was stunned, but then didn't, you know, come yeah. back out at him or anything, but, um, yeah, yeah, I, know, I, I, gotta I don't know, say, what did you think when you saw it? I, I got it. I, well, I, I've actually had a lot of different reactions in some ways I've changed to my opinion and in some ways not. Um, I think the, I guess the weirdest thing about it to me and the thing where that maybe like questioned my initial reaction, I mean, my, my, my first initial, like. I guess man reaction was, yeah, go freaking like you got it, man. Like stand up for your wife, like whatever. Okay. And then immediately after that came my Christian conviction of, you know, Jesus says, bless your enemies, you know, do good to those that hate you, pray for those who curse you, you know, things like this. And so I was like, okay, well, I definitely don't think uh, Jesus would have necessarily walked up and slapped the guy across the face. Um, so let's start there. Uh, as a Christian, I, I sort of, you know, am committed to a worldview that oftentimes, you know, bucks up against what I want to do in my fleshly reaction, right? So there was that. But then I'm, 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 I, I was, my opinion changed even a little bit further in that direction when I started reading a lot of what other people were saying about how, um, you know, that there were a lot of really good arguments about the fact that, look, he was a comedian, um, number one, which is obvious, but, you know, it's a factor. You know, number two, he didn't actually know that there was a problem going on there, right? And so it was like the G.I. Jane joke was actually like contextually, like it made sense, right? Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't like you talk about in your, in your stories a lot. Like it has to make sense for the character. Well, it made sense uh, contextually with, with the character, with the G.I. Jane. I mean, it made sense. Um, and so, and, and, and here's the thing that got me the most about the whole scenario is, is that Will seemed to understand that right because his initial reaction was one of breaking up yeah my right, uh, as he gets kind of what everyone's thinking is i think he'd rather i think he'd rather have us uh, face the humiliation on tv for a little bit and rather than yeah. a lifetime of facing 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I, there's a meme going around Facebook that's just hilarious. It's got him laughing first, and then it's got like this crazy eyed like shot of her where she was starting to have that bad reaction, and it says like execute order sixty six or whatever. And then the, the, <laughs> yeah, the, the next one, the next one is him with the with the you know the mad face like come at me, bro. And then you know before he goes up and smack I gotta, on him. I gotta say, you have a funny video. I I just I love this for if anything. I love this moment because now we just have unlimited content of funny stuff based on right. The, the best one I saw. Best one I saw. I think it was like in 2006. I saw Chris Rock was like at the Nickelodeon thing giving out awards, and Will Smith was there. So all the yeah. kids are cheering, and Chris Rock says, and then my man Will Smith is here. And then it cuts to Will Smith at the awards, but it's like you see in the crowd with kids. And he gets and he says, "Take you, take my name out of you, Mel." And it's like right. it's really, it was perfect because of all the kids there, and it was just it was great. Uh, but yeah, so I've always been where if if you're a comedian, if that's what you do, I I just think anything goes. Like you can say whatever you want. It's just it's yeah. your job. It's who you are. Doesn't mean like those roasting like those roast things. Exactly. Like that's the like yeah it's a genre and it doesn't necessarily mean i find everything funnier that you should say stuff i've turned a lot of comedians off because i just don't think it's funny or it's too crude and it's it's just not good but like especially if you're a famous person you're going there and that's his job to do i'm just just like that's just what he does and you gotta yeah. get ready for it and so right initially like in my media reaction was like dude like that's his job and it's not like he's making a joke about like her dying or that right. you know she's like right. fumbling with her wig while crying in the mirror like he wasn't making fun of her it was a joke that he tried to say edging because she had like what you said i i don't know if he knew or not but yeah. it sounded like he didn't even know that that she was going through that um yeah it, yeah exactly yeah he didn't yeah I, he didn't know i could be wrong but i think will smith is probably a pretty smart guy just a hunch <laughs> and so i I thought that if he really, and it would have been funny too, it would have been funny. He would have proved a point. I think between like that time and with him getting his award, he would have plenty of time to think of something, a good comeback to come back with, to say to Chris Rock during his acceptance speech or, or some other time, you know, I just, I just a better way to handle it with, with words and that, but yeah, anyway, it's a, it's a weird thing. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see how it plays out with like, I mean, I don't want to say I'm, I'm interested because I'm not like, totally invested, but like, you know, they're talking about disciplinary action and, you know, will he be, you know, de- you know, will, will the, uh, the motion picture Academy, you know, will they ultimately expel him from that? You know, there's, there, there's lots of, I have lots of thoughts about this. Admittedly, a lot of these thoughts are, 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 are stemmed from controversial, you know, you know, topics about, about, you know, this, this, this company wants to. You know, now now we're looking at we're it's like we're looking to Hollywood for our for our moral authority. And, <laughs> yeah, right. and so it's like it's 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 like, you know, the the dude kind of misunderstands or or in the moment reacts wrongly, you know, in in context to a situation and 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 backhands a guy until we're gonna kick him out. But like these same people are are held up for saying that that my little girl should be cool, like sharing a bathroom with little boys. Like, sorry, but like like you know, I'm I'm not I'm just not looking to you for like your, your moral guidance on on my life and like the correct reaction. And so I have some strong feelings about it from that regard. But I'm just kind of interested to see ultimate. I'm not gonna like follow it, but I'm interested to see yeah. ultimately what plays out. Um, I, well, I I don't know if this part is true or not. Maybe it's just the academy trying to cover their rears. But they said that they tried to get Will Smith to leave and he refused. 
Yeah, when I read that, I was thinking like, like, is that your place or like Will Smith's? Like, he's just right. like, if he went up and assaulted someone on stage, right? like get security to remove him. And that bugs me both about, not to get into it politically, but both about people and as well as like big corporations and stuff. I'm not against big corporations, just a lot of times you see them get away with so sure. much because of lobbyists and everything. And it's just so frustrating to see. And it's like, dude, like... Yeah. I don't mm -hmm. kind of go again, like a rabbit trail, like another thing. And I'm sorry, Steve, if you were one of these people, so maybe I'm calling you, I'm putting you down, but I never got the, um, I never got the appeal of having like a preacher or someone sign your Bible. And no, 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 I, 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 you hear the same way. Okay. So we, you and I are aligned like that. I, and again, maybe you're those people all the more power to you, but I remember that was a big thing when I went to, um, PCC. Um, you know, and people, yeah, people like getting up. I was like, what are they doing? Like, I was, I was just, it did not make sense to me. I was like, why would you have mm -hmm. the two things that came to mind were like, he didn't write the Bible. Like he's telling you what's in it. He might be good at telling you what's in it. But then the second thing I thought of is like, this guy's a man, like he is no better than you. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, the next, and I can list on my, on my hand, all five fingers, probably. Um, people I heard at PCC that really went astray. And I'm like, those people who had him sign his Bible, like, what was yeah. that all for? Anyway, that has... Yeah. Preacher, preacher celebrity culture is probably a whole separate podcast, but boy, I have... I, I have we should we should do that. Sure. We can relate that to stories, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. thousand percent. And, and some we people may not be interested sometime. in that. Some people may, you know, I mean... It you know it, it's yeah yeah that's that's a whole other can of worms. I, I think okay. I think what is fair to say. I think most people at this point. I, I don't think I've heard anybody from any side of this defend Will's actions at this point. I mean, I I, I, I don't think most I don't people, think I I think most either, people yeah. agree. Yeah, that Will was in the wrong given yeah. all of the all of the information it was it was it was not an appropriate thing to do even i mean that even from the most manliest man whatever perspective you want to take depending your wife or whatever i think everybody pretty much agrees that he was in the in the wrong given the context of the situation a comedian who didn't even know the circumstances yeah. he, 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 you know it yeah. was out of line so yeah i think so i think that's a good note to end it on steve I said, so long yeah. time, this was so fun i love talking about this stuff with you and getting uh, in it it's been dude, great it's it's cool, man. It's cool. I I am gonna take. I mean, I'm 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 I have too much going on as it is. But uh, this this kind of gets me excited about at least starting to think about some some fiction stuff. I really would love to do um, the the National Novel Writer Month in uh, in November. Um, yeah, which is a which is a pretty cool thing. I, I thought about it for a few years now, um, but I didn't get to it in enough. Isn't like a certain amount of hours you write or pages or what? What is it? No, uh, well, uh, there may be some more like actual. Uh, I'll have to dig into it. There, there may be some like actual guidance around some of that stuff. Um, the the broad stroke of it is is you write a novel during the month of November. Uh, oh. But as I was as I was I was reaching, you know, I was researching about it last time. Um, a lot of the people who do this, and a lot of people do this every year, they will, especially your outliner types, they will go ahead and um, and prep for it, like. Like beforehand so it's like when november starts they they actually start the writing it's not like they start thinking about their novel in november and then but you know november one and then by the end they're they're done um there's a lot of thought that goes into it yeah, i think many of them throughout the year a lot of thought that goes into it and then they just they devote november to the writing of it mm, um gotcha. in general so it's interesting i must I, not have kids 
Yeah, I uh, must not. But there's a, you can even find like tons. And I was looking them up last time. You can find tons of YouTube videos, people who have tips on how to do this and stuff. And so they do the same I thing mean, with video games too. They call them, I think they just call them jam sessions where you get together with people. And yeah. So that is 24, 48 or 72 hours, I think. And you make a video game. Yeah. Um, yeah. But all right. All right. See, it's well, been man. great. It's been great. Yeah, man. Take care. See ya.